chapter 8. And uh, just one announcement, there's uh, quite a few guests that have, uh, are continuing to check out FCBC and to track with us through John, so glad you're here. Uh, we do have a couple more left. These are these uh, John journals. Basically, it has like the ESV on one side and some uh, blank notes on the other side. If that would be of help to you to follow along through our sermons, uh, there still are a couple more uh, that we have and be happy to give that to you. Uh, see me at the door after the service. I forgot to bring them up here, uh, but if that would be of help, uh, I think Wendy Heath is a great proponent of them. She loved it on her iPad even. You can download it, write notes, the whole thing. Uh, if you don't believe me, see her, and uh, she'll encourage you with why you should get that, and uh, maybe that will be an encouragement to you as you track with us through our sermons. So in John chapter 8, uh, we remembered from last week uh, that this is a great section in which uh, unbelief is kind of being manifested, and uh, we find that today uh, it is a uh, it's increasing, right, that people are be beginning or seeing more that Christianity is a threat and that followers of Jesus Christ are the problem, right? That really shouldn't surprise too many of us uh, for a growing number of people, right? Uh, sorry, they're trying to get this microphone right. Let's see. Yeah, out there in the world for a growing number of people, uh, many would say that ridding the world of Jesus and those that are his followers that are um, committed to follow his world or follow his word, it would be a good thing to rid the world of them. I don't know if I'm going to get this right, Sue. Can I just go with this? Oh, Georgia or Kareth? Thank you. All right. Is that working? All right. Sorry about those technical difficulties. Should the world get its own way, it would desire to rid the world of Jesus and those that claim to follow him. The logic of the world today is simply this, that Christianity has had its run, and it has outlived its productivity. Here it is. The run of Christianity is done. Many people today believe that we could rid the world of Jesus, we could rid the world of followers of Jesus, and we could still have and even maybe even have a more just society. That if we were to get rid of religion, there could actually be a more virtuous people. All of these things can be had without the historical teachings of Jesus. If we would just move beyond Jesus, if we would just move beyond an adherence to his word, we would be able to have a more just society, an enlightened society, and perhaps even a more enlivening society. The world would say this, truth brings bondage. Tolerance brings freedom. It is in this moment that we find ourselves living in that religious battle lines are being drawn. Intractable positions are being espoused and taken up. It seems that fighting to the finish is already long underway. It's not hard to sense that it is an escalated atmosphere that we currently live in. And in this moment, it would be well worth pausing and asking, are we clear 
on why the world would want to rid itself of Jesus and his followers. Do we know and understand the issues that have moved us as a country from going being receptive of Jesus to wanting to reject Jesus and his followers? What we have before us in John chapter 8 is a text that we are so blessed to have because it mirrors our own day in crystal clarity. You will not have to travel far from reading John 8 to basically just understanding where you live. The road from John 8 is as quick to get to as the road that you will travel home on on Route 106. The people back then and the people today struggle with what Jesus has to say. Our present day situation runs along this text because we have traveled the same text as the people back then did from a cultural belief in Jesus, but that actually helped you get ahead, saw you as an honorable person, a virtuous person. Maybe it was even good for your business to go to church and to come out and say those things to now a flat out rejection of Jesus. This text moves from people standing with Jesus at the very beginning talking about all the advantages of knowing Jesus, and it ends with them picking up stones to stone him. Our text opens in verse 30. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. Verse 31, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, but it ends right in verse 59. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. All of that in one text a movement from initial receptance to a flat-out rejection and wanting to kill him just in a couple of verses. Why? Why does the world want to rid itself of Jesus? Why does the world want to murder Jesus? Why do we want to just see Jesus disappear? Well, over this week and the next, we're going to see three reasons why the world would rid itself of Jesus. Each reason goes along with each paragraph. You actually can kind of see those paragraphs. They probably, in your ESV Bible, even have headings, okay? We're only going to have time to look at one this morning, just one. And uh, here is the reason for this morning of why the world would rid itself of Jesus. The world then and the world today would rid itself of Jesus because Jesus challenges our cultural narrative of individual freedom. What does that mean? Jesus comes flat out and says, you are not as free as you think you are. And that is a tough message. And because Jesus challenges your freedom, the world would rid itself of Jesus rather than submit itself to the freedom that Jesus has to offer. So in verses 31 through 38, Jesus challenges their and our cultural understanding of individual freedom. Freedom has to be, in our day, the single most valuable value that we have in Western society. I can't think of a value that is more close to our heart and dearer to our heart than freedom, right? I mean, the idealistic formulation of the American Revolution was based upon freedom. You don't have to be a history major to know that we value freedom. All you have to do is listen to Elsa in the movie Frozen. This is what she sings. She puts it at the kitchen table level. It's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. What? 
I am free. Now, nobody in here wants to admit they know those lyrics. I'm looking around like, everyone's like, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about, Josh, but Nick, you, you, we've, we've seen some Elsa movies, all right? No one wants to acknowledge that that's the song, but she puts it right down there for all of our kids to sing, right? Now I am free. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. Time to see what I can do. Maximize my potential. Well, whether it's freedom to vote, freedom to move, freedom to act as I wish, as long as I don't hurt anybody else, freedom is at the foundation of our society. But look at what Jesus has to say in verses 31 through 32. It is inflammatory. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. It's interesting that Jesus seems to articulate here that we are not as free as we would like to think we are. He does not think that we are born free. He actually considers us, as humankind, enslaved. And he says the only true route to freedom, there's only one. Only one true route to freedom. And if we miss it, if we don't take that route, we will be enslaved forever. And here's what Jesus says. Truth brings freedom. Sin brings bondage. What sets, us, what sets us free? Truth. Truth sets us free. Truth is the only route to liberty. And you hear that this morning, you go, man, it has a nice ring to it. We might hear it as, you know, you will know your truth and your truth will set you free. It'd be really easy to kind of hear Jesus' words through the filter of our grid that we've already been pumped with, which is, I have a truth and you have a truth, and as long as I'm living to my truth, I will be free. I will accomplish what I think I want to accomplish. I'll be who I'm supposed to be. Or just be true to yourself. That will make you free. We hear an expression all the time, whatever makes you happy. But it's not just any truth, right? That's going to set you free. It's a actually very specific truth. Remember the context? We're in John 8, verses 30 and 31 and 32, which means all of John 8 comes before it. And so here's the truth that Jesus is talking about. Look back up to John 8, 24. If you're new to using a Bible, the large numbers of the chapters, the small number of the verses, John 8, 24, Jesus says, I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. That's the truth about Jesus. Truth is found in him. It's truth about who he is and what he has done. That's the truth that's going to set you free. It's truth in him as a person. It's who he is and what he has accomplished that actually sets you free. And you see that most clearly displayed on the cross. It is because of the cross that we are free from the judgment of God, from death, for the wages of sin is death. What is our judgment that's coming? Death. Death is not natural. Death is not normal. Death is there because it is a judgment for, it is a penalty for, our wages of sin is death. And Christ's death on the cross accomplishes our greatest freedom. Our most fundamental freedom is that we can be free from sin's penalty because Christ died on the cross to pay the penalty of sin. But he also died on the cross, and it's through the cross that grace comes so that you can be free each day more and more over the power of sin in your life. 
And that's the kind of thing that we talk about when you come out to our monthly Magnify Nights. Magnify Nights, things like the third Wednesdays of the month, uh, we come and we share testimonies, magnifying what God has done in our life, magnifying God's grace, how we're looking more like him than we were the last month, how we're trusting him more. And we're not bragging about what we're doing. We're just actually just bragging about what God has done in and through us. We give him all the glory. Because Christians want to talk about the freedom they have in Christ. We want to talk about how we've been freed from the penalty of sin. We want to talk about how we've been freed from the power of sin. So faith family, this morning, in your conversations, are you being honest? Are you being clear about the real power that is being offered in Jesus Christ? Is that on your lips? Do you talk to others about the power that you found in Jesus, free from its penalty, free from its power? The hope that you have that one day you're free from uh, sin's presence? Are you magnifying Christ by saying only in him comes true freedom? My non-Christian friend, do you know this freedom? I, I, I'm sure you value our national freedoms. But freedom from guilt of sin, freedom from the punishment of sin, makes all other freedoms pale in comparison. There's nothing compared to that kind of freedom in Christ, knowing that your sins are forgiven, that you're accepted by God, and that you can have a home in heaven with him forever, away from sin's presence. That's the hope we have. Unfortunately, these Jews do not know that freedom. These Jews don't know about it because they actually don't think that they're enslaved at all. They are offended that Jesus would even suggest that they are slaves. Look at their aggravation in verse 33. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Here they are. That They claim that they're free. You wonder if they fell asleep in history class or if they just had a really bad teacher because the history of the nation of Israel is just one of consistently getting into slavery. Assyria, then Babylon, right? Presently, they're underneath Roman occupation. They don't see that they have a long line of history of being slaves. And it's the same for us today. Here's the principle. Sin works best when you don't recognize its mastery over your life. That's the principle. Sin's mastery works best over us when we don't recognize its mastery over our lives. Sin works best. When we just don't notice it. My non-Christian friend, you're here this morning on a Labor Day weekend, right? And you probably think, right? You look at yourself and you think, I I'm free. You might think you have nothing in which you need to be freed from. You probably pity us Christians. We're the ones that really aren't that free. We have all these things that we can't do. You can't do this. You can't do that. You can't do this. You can't do that. And you're hearing this offer to come to Jesus. You go, why would I want Jesus? I mean, he's just going to ruin my life. But can I tell you, the Bible paints a completely different picture of what reality actually is. The Bible says Christians are actually the free ones. Yes, even us that are here on a Sunday morning and a Labor Day weekend who are not doing something else. We are the free ones. We're free because we've heard God's truth and we've believed God's truth. But before that, we were just like you. We were slaves to sin. It is truth that brings freedom. It is sin that brings bondage. Look at verse 34. 
Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. What Jesus is saying and why the world would rid itself of Jesus is because Jesus is saying humanity, by its very nature, is enslaved to sin. Jesus is saying that you are held by a greater power than yourself. It is not just that you have this limitless potential. No, he says that you're enslaved to sin. Think about this as as an illustration. Smoking. The 13-year-old thinks that he's truly free when he sneaks out away from mom and dad and goes behind the school, away from the teachers, and he takes a smoke, right? When he takes that drag, he feels as if he is on top of the world, but he can't see what's actually happening to him. He doesn't see that his body is wasting away. Even worse, he doesn't see that his mind is constantly preoccupied when he can get that next smoke. Of course, right? He doesn't think that he has a problem. But the 40-year-old who tries to kick the habit for the first time is beginning to see that he's not as free as he really thought he was. He doesn't have the cigarettes. The cigarettes have him. And the 71-year-old with lung cancer He knows the truth. They're going to deny it with their lips, but they're going to display it with their lives. Sin brings bondage. Truth brings freedom. And friends, that's just your body. Jesus is here talking about your soul. The reality is that all of us are addicted to sin. Sin has control over us. Sometimes it lets you not think that it has control over you. Sometimes it lets you believe that you actually can do with it as you want. It will actually let you stop one sin only so that you'll pick up another. How many of us have tried to stop the sin of gluttony only to turn into a self-love that is preoccupied with working out? Self-admiration. That that was for the kids, right? Yesterday I was standing with somebody and I was doing this like, Dad, your arms look bigger. I'm like, no, that's just the trick. You do this, you breathe in, you squish it down, and everything looks like it's gotten larger, you know? And uh, and so they were teasing me about that, you know? But yeah, It's, it's crazy. You can go from one thing, give that up, only to jump into the next thing. And it still has you. There are so many areas that we are bound and can't break free. Jealousy, greed, pride. And it's that sort of spiritual reality that Jesus speaks the truth. Sin brings bondage. Truth brings freedom. Whatever sin... Every single man and woman here are in spiritual chains, acting out in one way or another, some kind of way to protect your own self-interest. That's what sin is. It is just self-love. And we are chained to that. In every way, we're just acting out how to love ourselves and to protect our self-interest. And we are willing to do anything and everything to make sure we are number one. But Christ says that you are never more free than when sin isn't your master. Christ says you are never more alive than when you abide in his word. 
That's what he has to offer as an alternative to this cultural narrative of freedom. He says, abide in my word. Look at verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. That's what he has to offer. If you abide in my word, you are my disciples. If you abide in my word, you will truly be free. We need to submit ourselves to his teaching. And it's in submission to his word that we will finally know freedom. If we don't submit to his teaching but live according to our own word, we'll be enslaved elsewhere. Right? It's Bob Dylan. you got to serve somebody. So rather than living according to your own word, deciding what's true for you, or I'm sure if you've lived any length of time, if you try to do what's true for you, you found that you're not as free as you think you are. Instead, submit yourself to the word of Christ. Our truest freedom comes from fully uh, listening to his word, obeying his word, following Christ. You're never more alive than when you abide in his word. So to the best of your ability this morning, faith family, will you give yourself to abiding in his word? Will you place yourself underneath the word of Christ? Will you allow others to help you? That's what we're calling discipleship. Having other people speak God's word to you so that as you're tempted to live according to your own word and that you're blind to see where sin could be enslaving you, it is the church, it is this fellowship that says, hey, brother, I think you have a blind spot. And they speak the word and the power of the spirit and it brings life to you because we can't all see it. It is sin's very nature to be deceptive. And so are we minimizing the value of a local church? Are you neglecting the importance of a church where other people can come alongside you speaking God's word in one-to-one ways so that you can see how this text relates to where you are enslaved that you might miss? We all need that. Well, to that invitation of submitting to God's word, the Jews respond, may it never be. So in verse 37, Jesus says, I know that you are the offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me. Because my word finds no place in you. You seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. At least now we know why they would rid the world of Jesus. They would rid the world of Jesus then, and we would rid the world of Jesus today because he challenges our view of freedom. If you don't want to become a Christian, at least acknowledge the reason why. Tell the world you are not a Christian because Jesus challenged your rugged individualism. Tell the world the reason why I'm not a Christian is because Jesus confronts my view of my freedom. The reason why we don't want to hear his words is because his words are offensive. It's insulting to hear that we are not free. It's insulting to hear that there's nothing you can do to help yourself. We love do-it-yourself projects. That's why religion is so appealing. If you just do this, and you do enough of it, you attend here, you take communion, you get baptized, you do all these religious things, then God will accept you. But that's not what sets us free. What does Jesus say in verse 35? The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. A slave can't free themselves. No matter how good they perform, they're always scared that their last performance wasn't good enough and they get kicked out. 
That's the fear that you live with if you consider religion. Did I do enough? Did I pray enough? Was I sincere enough? Did I give enough? And you're constantly worried that you're not good enough. But if the son who remains in the house sets you free, you will be free indeed. That's the truth here. It is the son who has the ability. It is the son who has the willingness to set you free. Free from sin's power. Free from sin's penalty. Ultimately, one day, free from sin's presence. My non-Christian friend, don't rid yourself of the only hope you have. Sin brings bondage. Truth brings freedom. Unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. But, right? But to all who hear God's word, receive God. Right? A true disciple hears the word of truth, receives the truth, perseveres in the truth, and here's how it kind of all wraps up. A genuine freedom from sin is found in a genuine faith in Christ that's going to produce genuine fruit. That's kind of where this whole passage is going. Genuine freedom from sin is found in genuine faith in Christ, and it produces genuine fruit, fruit that you see by abiding in his word, keeping his word, persevering in his word. So faith family, it doesn't matter whether you say you follow Jesus. Is your life marked by a love for and obedience to the truth of his word, right? Our lives shall be characterized by abiding in the word of God. That's why we spend the most of our time hearing God's word so that we can respond to God's word. That's what it's all about. I encourage you to go to Sunday school. Learn more about God's word. Be in discipleship. Have someone speak God's word into your life personally. Come to our fellowship where we try to understand God's word so we can live it out. All believers are to abide in God's word. All believers are entrusted with the gospel. All believers are to be stewards of this word. It's not yours to do with it as you want. You're supposed to be a steward of it for how the master would want you to use it. It's how the church survives. It's how the church spreads. By not forsaking his word, but by feeding on the word. You all have heard the children's poem, For Want of a Nail. Let me remind you of this. For want of a nail, the shoe was lost. For the want of a shoe, the horse was lost. For the want of a horse, the rider was lost. For the want of a rider, the battle was lost. For the want of a battle, the kingdom was lost. And all for the want of a horseshoe nail. Well, we can say the same thing to the church. Because of the word, the Spirit speaks. Because the Spirit speaks, disciples are saved and sent. And because disciples are saved and sent, churches are planted. Because churches are planted, the world is reached. I want to invite Don George up. We want to commission him as he is our pastoral resident for this year. So, Don George, would you come up? Elders, come on up. Where's Don at? In back row. All right, great. Uh, Pat, Daryl, yeah, elders, Steve. Jason's uh, traveling on vacation. All right. Don is one of our elders going to be our pastoral resident, and his, uh, he wants to just ensure that he doesn't forsake God's word, 
uh, or God's mission to the world. He wants to give himself to know God's word better. So Don is taking steps in this year. He uh, just stopped on a Friday, full-time work, and is going into part-time work, but he'll be working here as well at the church, uh, taking three seminary classes at Grimke in Richmond. Uh, he'll be doing that and then uh, serving alongside of us to get to know more about what it means in the day-to-day life of a pastor. And so Don's uh, desire is to feed him that word so he can send it out to others. And uh, being a pastoral resident doesn't put him in a different class. Don't think of him as anything great. He wouldn't want you to do that. Actually, the difference between Don and everybody else is only by one of degree. Here's how it goes. If everyone that's a believer is responsible to make disciples and to steward the gospel, the question would then be, how much more is not a pastoral resident? Right? I mean, we're all responsible to do this, but if he's making more of his time available to do that, why not more from him? So as we commission him, it's good to remind ourselves of Paul's words. Don Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 4, 1 through 2, This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ." stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. Don, we charge you to uh, fan into flame the gifting that we see. It's been a delight to hear sermons and teaching and Sunday schools from you. We just see and recognize God's gifting. We know that you're passionate, (laughs) and uh, we encourage you to continue to be passionate about your assignment. Uh, But here's the cool part. Do all that you do as if you're doing it to Jesus Christ himself, right? Uh, You're a servant of his first and foremost before you serve the church. Uh, God is your boss before everyone else decides that that they can uh, be your boss. And you know what the good news is? As you consider Christ as your boss, it frees you from trying to please man and allows you to work with a single ambition of pleasing God. So as you are going, and as that has changed from full-time work to part-time work and a full-time pastoral residency, as you are going, make disciples by teaching the word, obeying the word, uh, exemplifying the word, and uh, we look forward to a great year with you uh, as our pastoral resident. Let's put our hands on him. We'll pray for Don, and we'll have a time of silence, and we'll stand and we'll sing. Yeah, come on up. Great.